Hello, are we on the air yet? Welcome to the Core Performance Podcast, taking you one step closer to self-mastery on and off the course. Fire up that growth mindset, and let's dive into the core of elite golf and human performance. Now, here's your hosts, Ian Highfield and Andrew Losey. Hello podcast world, hello junior golfers, hello parents of junior golfers, and hello high performers everywhere. My name is Ian Highfield and I am your host of the Core Performance Podcast along with Mr. Andrew Losey. And on today's show, um, we give an awesome interview to a gentleman called Pete Arnott. Pete is from and based in uh, Bonnie, Scotland in the UK, where my mother is from, Uh, so I am well connected to Pete's Scottish roots. I'm also very well connected to the way that he coaches golf. Uh, Pete is extremely well read and extremely well educated in a lot of the science and literature that helps us decipher how human beings learn a skill. Uh, and how human beings achieve high performance. And Pete has taken this literature and he has created a coaching philosophy uh, that is becoming very, very popular, not just in the UK uh, and in Scotland where he's based, but actually it's starting to establish itself all across the world, most recently through his online course that he has launched called Swing Like Tiger. So, Let's get over to this conversation that myself and Andrew had with Pete and let's really dive in to golf practice, uh, the changes that we can make to our practice habits and understand why these changes might just help us swing it like Tiger. Yeah, so like he he, he talked about like his, his eyes were always on majors. So like I've got him on on record and Steve Williams several times on record saying that he would hit specific shots in PGA tour events that weren't relevant to that hole, but he was practicing them for the majors. Yes. I, I heard something along the lines of Augusta demands a draw. Yeah. There was a tournament before Augusta that really you want to kind of play with mainly fades, but Tiger played draw to get ready for the masters. 100%. 100%. Got ready for the Masters, won the Masters, and also won that tournament playing the yeah. whole shot shape. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so he was using basically PGA Tour events to experiment. The, the, the purest, highest level of practice if you're interested in majors, right, I guess. Yeah, but I, I think there's, there's something that you can always take from that with regards to, like, if your major is, I don't know, like a, a junior event right so like yeah. you're, you're you're all eyes are on that and there's specific shots you need well maybe some some smaller tournaments before that is treated experimentation for that to, that tournament love it mr morgan he's, he's informed me of the same and i've had many a conversations with with kids about that so uh we're all on the same page so i started recording uh-huh. um, and i don't want to cut that bit that we just did I'm going to open with that podcast. Like the, the, 
behind the scenes of the core performance podcast, the talks that go on before we actually go. So everyone's going to be like, oh my God, what just happened? Did Ian edit this wrong? Um, but yeah. we'll just roll. We'll just roll. So Pete, why don't you introduce yourself, your background in golf, um, obviously the, the passion that, that, that we share, et cetera, of effective practice. Just talk about you and, and your journey and your passion. How long you got you? Um, <laughs> One hour. <laughs> <laughs> so my background is uh, just a uh, amateur good golfer, grew up in Edinburgh, Scotland, playing lots of golf with friends competitively for money. That's how we got good, no coaching. So that's sort of my bias. Um, then went in the real world as project manager in IT until my early 30s and then changed my career, went and did a, a golf coaching degree and really got lucky. Uh, a, a colleague that Ian and I both know, uh, Graham McDowell, mm. he was one of my lecturers. He was doing a master's degree at the time on skill learning, like basically practice and how you transfer that to the golf course. And some of his learnings kind of rubbed off on me and, and I started going down that rabbit hole as well. I then did a master's, so I finished my coaching degree, started coaching. So this is about 10, 12 years ago. So I've been coaching full-time for 12 years. Um, and did a master's degree in skill acquisition, how you acquire skills. So I interviewed seven European to Scottish European tour players on their experiences developing towards the European tour and then playing on the European tour. So, I mean, there was loads of stuff that, that came out of that as well. So that is my background. What do I do? I'm a performance and practice coach. So I basically I practice, research and deliver all things transfer to the golf course. Awesome. So um, let's build on that. Let's talk a little bit about the, the clients that you coach right now, mm -hmm. um, the, the sessions that you run right now. How do they look? So a player comes to you, they want to work with you because you're going to help them transfer skills to the golf course. What does that sort of session look like? What kind of things do you do? Just run us through that from start to finish. Um, before you do, if I disappear off the screen, it's because my dog's barking at the door. I'm just going to go and let my dog out. So just, just roll with that and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be back in as soon as I can. It's all good. Um, what uh, I mean, how specific do you want to go? Like, like... Yeah, let's just, let's just pretend, hey, Pete, I'm coming for a session. I want to get better at golf. Just kind of idealistically, what are you going to... What processes am I going to go through? So, Where am uh, I going to like, I, So the process I go through with every client is trying to soak about, soak, be greedy with information, soak as much information out of them as possible um, with regards to backgrounds, um, how they've learned to move in the world, um, just anything, history of coaching, injuries, just uh, uh, as much information as I possibly get. I coach all level of players. So I, I mean, I coach from all ages as well. I would say 25% of my, my clients are elite players, elite and kind of pro players. The other 75% are mainly, you know, 35 to 70 year old males looking to get better. Most, most are signed up to long-term packages. I don't believe in 30, 30 minute lessons. I don't do them. Um, my 
core principles are, are, are long-term coaching, spending time with somebody. And initially, I'll try and find out as much information as possible about them and then find, in the research, they call it the rate limiter, where, where uh, we can get the biggest bang for their buck, our buck with that individual. So it may be that we need to go swing with some individuals because they are just not capable of hitting a golf ball straight enough and long enough, right? Uh, for many of the elite players, it does not look like that. It's more, we'll do profiles on psychologically, we'll use the uh, questionnaires with regards to that, and then we'll triangulate like what they're doing with st stats, have a look at their stats specifically, um, and see what areas that potentially need looked at. And then I'll, I'll always see them, try and see them in person, like on the golf course, in performance, um, uh, with some of the pros I teach, I'll caddy for them. It's amazing what you see when you caddy for them. But to me, it's all things transfer the golf course, so you've got to see them on a the golf course. So let, let, me, let me jump in there. Let's go with the, the two scenarios. I'm your 40-year-old-ish guy that mm. needs to work on swing mechanics. Mm. Um, kind of what, how, not, not what, what you work on is going to be different with, with every player. They're going to have different um, mechanical needs. How do those sessions look? Uh, and then after, we'll let Andrew be the elite tour player with a silky swing that can't get the most out of his game. How oh, yeah. does that session look? So just talk yeah. us through how they, they flow. That's probably quite fitting as well. Those two roles that we're going to play are probably quite quite accurate. Yeah, so like I'll always say to somebody, look, in a session, we will, we will we'll, I'll watch you hit balls. You know, the weather at the moment is not the greatest, so probably be on the range. Uh, I'll watch you hit balls. I'll bring you in after I've seen, seen you watch balls, after I've asked lots of questions about your development history, what sports you play, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I'll, I'll show you what I see and be, basically say every client, this is a two-way street. We're going to explore areas that, that will help you. Are you okay with experimentation? Because the first thing I give you might not work, right? So I'll yeah. frame beforehand that, that this is going to be exploration around specific areas, right? For example, it could be tempo. That's yesterday I did a lesson on tempo. The, 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 the person's basically arms and body weren't synced up. So we, we worked on just slowing the tempo down a little bit and use the scaling system. So basically got them to hit shots at 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, and just like explored that area and found what worked for them. But then we, we I gave him a framework to go away with and, and he could go and practice that scaling system away from me. So I think it's really important that somebody has feedback when they're away from me. And we're always attaching that to strike and ball flight because that's all you have on the golf course. To me, it's, it's always key principles of what I have on the golf course. I have feel, kinesthetic awareness, yeah? I have obviously the mental stuff that you know you you go into detail in, right? And uh, I've got ball flight and I've got strike and the sound of strike, right? And and that's pretty much it with regards to swing. Yeah. I mean, obviously you've got the environment, hills, slopes, and that's another rabbit hole, but but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so so if, to me, I go, well, here's the core principles that you have in the golf course. We need to train these areas. 
So for example, when I'm using TrackMan, we don't use it as a crux. We use it as, as feedback. I'm not data-led, I'm data-informed, yeah? So what does that mean? So for example, I'll turn, I'll, I'll put the screen away, and the, yesterday the lesson we were working on tempo, when, when the, the client got everyone synced up, I was like, does that feel faster or slower? And he's like, much slower. I show him the speed and his speed's gone up. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. I love that. Yeah. yeah, because obviously it's kinematic sequence, like everyone's kind of syncing up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, because he was all hands and arms. Yeah. yeah. And, and then all demonstrations for me is key as well. You know, I think we're going to talk about Tiger in a, in a wee bit, but like we've got a chapter on our new course with regards to Tiger and how he watched and observed top-level players and took lots of information from them. So I think it's observing someday, doing demonstrations for that individual, but in specific areas that they maybe need to look at. I'll awesome. give you another example. Uh, a, a, a pro that we're working with at the moment, uh, I'm not his technical coach, but very similar, his arms and, and uh, body aren't syncing up. So we'd done a performance session for him a couple of weeks ago and he's playing with three other pros and we're basically doing games for nine holes and we're, we're playing, they're over 18s, we're playing for money, it's, it's under pressure and this individual's doing quite well after six holes against two players that are better than him and we know they're better, right? And then he hits one bad shot and everything goes, like he just can't find it. But he's going through some swing changes and I'm good friends with his technical coach. We're getting a call and basically what we've we've implemented is that he is going to, he's pretending that he's Sun GM, right? His backswing is Sun GM. So we put a really simple like cue in there and then now we are testing that in a, training performance environment to see if it holds up under pressure yeah awesome Peter, real quick so so you know you said if ian is the the 40-ish year old guy just looking to get a little bit of swing help and now you go and work with pro players how do the pro players respond to the the little bit of experimentation that that you introduce in coaching that's uh, a great question. It, it, it depends. <laughs> it depends on their. <laughs> it depends on their history of coaching. So, so. I think that's a, that's a really good question. And to me, initially, when I first went in with this kind of philosophy, I would not meet the individual where, where they're at. So I would go in and make it too, too chaotic. So if their history of coaching was quite structured and even their educational system was quite structured or they'd come through a talent development system that was quite structured, then I, I didn't appreciate that enough. Say I get somebody that's 25 years old that's, that's come through a highly structured educational or coaching system, right? Uh, I threw them into chaos too much so to answer your question, I meet them where they're at. And if it has been highly structured, then I will not go experimentation too much first. I'll, I'll kind of drip feed it. I, 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 did, I did exactly the same. I, I, yeah. I've had, I, I, when I was younger, like this is my philosophy. I'm not sacrificing my philosophy. <laughs> the research papers say this, let's roll. And then I'm like, oh, 
I wonder why that person never came back to see me ever again. <laughs> yeah. So I've I, I've done I, I've done exactly the same. I know um, I know the sort of I know what you're talking about there. We have to dial it back a, a little bit. Um, the 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 experimentation. Um, I also heard Chris Como say with Bryson in an interview, like, yeah, you know, Bryson and I, we're not afraid of trial and error. Yeah. Um, so you're saying it, Chris Como's saying it, it's working with Bryson. So I think it's a message, a great message for, for all golf coaches um, to, to listen to. That, that game, Pete, that you were talking about, is that the one that you discussed on the, the, the group chat with myself, yeah. Costanza and Stuart? Uh, no, it was another, but I can go through that one. That yeah, I, I would, I would love you to, because this is really sort of, you've kind of talked about how you're holding back on the chaos for the the forty year old who wants to get a bit better, or you've got to meet these pros in 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 the middle and and sort of drip feed this stuff in. But then this game that you're about to introduce is the kind of polar opposite to that, right? So. Once you've had players for a long time and they're buying into your your concepts, they're probably starting to understand understand and see skill transfer, uh, yeah. the movement of the the skills that you're building on the range transfer into the golf course, and they yeah. buy in. Then you do hit them with chaos. So I'd love you to explain that game um, because just... I feel like it's one that we could also steal off you and play with our juniors. <laughs> so Andrew, this, Andrew, take this notes. Is, uh, take this notes. is, I'm, I'm smiling because this is when the fun starts. You know, yeah. uh, this is, this is, right. So I've had four pros for a, a day of training and I've seen that two, one of them I've kind of spent a little bit of time, the other three I've spent a lot of time with, right? So two of the pros are going through technical changes. I'm not their technical coach. And for the first nine holes, they were they were playing golf swing, right? On the first day. So they're like, I'm watching their eye movements and it's all internal. There's no target. You know, there's, there's, there's no intent. It's like they're clearly, you know, internally, you know, trying to go through all these swing changes. But, you know, they're not playing golf, right? They're not aware of the environment, blah, 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 right? And uh, so... And the other two, the one's got a short game that we know he struggled with before. And oh no, I'm telling I'm talking about another game here, but I'll go, I'll go through the two the two games. And then the and the other ones we know statistically, and I've caddied for him, watched him. He's struggling a little bit with putting. So the second day, we play nine holes combined score against each other right the two that are playing golf swing are in the same team right and i've said that you've got to clearly articulate to the group exactly what shot you're going to hit you've got to do your practice swing with that intent and then hit the shot if you execute as a team two in a row so you you call it you practice it you hit it right you get a reverse mulligan against the other team. A reverse mulligan is you get to ask the other team to hit a shot again. Yeah. Right. And and put similar rules in for the, the guys with the, the short putt. Basically, the guy with the short putt had to hit all the short putts for the team, and the guy with the chip had to do all the chips for the team. Yeah. And and they got rewarded if they did well for that. Awesome. So so as you're doing, you're making games that are specific for them. 
the other game that we were talking about. Sorry, I got lost off well, track. Well, let's let's dive into. Can I dive into that one a little bit? Yeah, yeah. How did you learn, or where does that underpinning education come from, or the idea come from to manipulate rules and have people in the same game? playing different rules because I know some parents will be listening and be like, well, that sounds like chaos. Or I know some junior golfers will be like, well, that's not fair. I'd rather have that rule than that rule. So why does this help? And, you know, because I do the same thing and it I nerd out on this, like it excites me and I can tell like you've upped the tempo in the podcast, right? Like this excites you. So just explain it a bit more through when you're watching these guys play and you build this game, What's the underpinning evidence to do that? And, and why do you love doing it so much? So, so I mean, because uh, we're limited in time, like I, I think what we're trying to create is a performance environment, the emotions that the these guys and girls are getting in tournament play. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of research to, to point towards the effective learning. So, if your practice environment is, is not does not have an emotional element to it, is less likely to transfer, right? Because the performance environment has an emotional element to it, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'm going to go on many tangents tonight, Ian, but like, uh, I'll give you an example of this. We are, last year, I took a pro out and we are doing a performance game and we're playing head to head and it's like the consequence is quite severe for this individual, right? So, like he, he, he doesn't want to do the consequence, right? So we're out in the golf course. He's got a specific task or score to get, and I'm throwing stuff at him, right? Like the out-of-bounds on the left-hand side or, or whatever it is. I'm throwing rules at him, right? And I'm watching him on his phone, and he's on his phone. I'm like, and he's, he's, he's overshot the green four times in a row, right? Just, but overshot the green. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm looking at my track man yardages, Yeah. I'm like, okay, so your track man yardages, right? Where did you take your track man yardages? He's like, oh, on the range. I said, how much emotion was on that range? And he was like, not very much. And I was like, how about now? Like emotional level one to 10 compared to the range. He was like, I was about a two in the range and I'm about a nine now, right? And uh, and <laughs> I'm like, you do realize there's going to be adrenaline pumping through your veins at the moment. And that's why you're you're overshooting the greens, yeah? You are hitting the ball further out in this golf course. And he's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the key to that is then he makes that error in practice. Yeah. He learns and rectifies it. And then it becomes part of his process or it becomes some information uh -huh. that he can chunk in tournament play. Uh -huh. And so we worked on self-reflection, all that, you know, the, the stuff that you, I mean, you've, you've, you've put that out there for years, Ian, brilliantly, and I've stolen lots of your stuff. So like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pleasure. It's a pleasure. <laughs> so, Peter, real, real quick, can I interrupt you? Um, so is, can, can that go both ways? Like it, depending on how a player perceives pressure? Yes, absolutely. So I've, I've done it the other way. So, I, I mean, not at the pro level, but at an amateur, where I used to work, a, a, basically it was an indoor trackman facility and then right on the golf course. And we had him indoors and he was swinging at about 100 miles an hour with a driver, hitting it great. And then took him onto the golf, he said, it's not transferring, took him onto the golf course that I wholly didn't like and put trackman there 
hit it miles right and his swing speed was 90 mile an hour. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, Steady was getting like guiding it and you know, all the all like so yes, it can flip both ways. Yeah. That's awesome. So Pete, jump back into the into that game, the one that you I think it was like they had to close yeah. out, right? Like, yeah, so, so right. So that one. So yeah. before Christmas, I had a really interesting call with uh, Lou Stagner, right? And you know, he's a the statistics guy. guy yeah. yeah, yeah. And he was saying that statistically, and I'm I'm probably doing a disservice, but this is what I took from some of the conversation: is statistically, PG Tour players. when they are leading, disproportionately come back to the field. So even if they played average, right, they would do better, like, relative to the field, right? Yeah. So, and it kind of makes sense. Like, they're, they're, they're leading and they're, they're, there's all sorts of emotional stuff going on there, blah, 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 right? So I was, I was like, I said to Lou, I, I don't think I, I actually train that, right? That actually training somebody to be in the lead, you know, I, I do it through practice and tournament play, as in, but it's more like osmosis. You know, you're leading, but the, but so basically, I created a game where, uh, again, these are adults, professional golfers. So the 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 buy-in fee was fifty pounds, right? And it's about sixty-eight dollars for the US listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it meant something to these guys, right? Yeah. So, and and basically there was three of them, and they had a four holes where they they started one shot in the lead, right? So they started one shot in the lead, and they had four holes, and the other two had to catch them, right? And if at the end of those four holes you were still leading you did not need to put money in for the final six holes. So it was three, four hole stretches. Each, each player was leading by one shot and the four hole stretches. So, and your, your, your position was for the last six holes and all the money was on the last six holes, right? So no money for the first 12, it's like a qualifying, right? Yeah. And how you performed when you were leading determined how well where you started in the final six holes for the money, right? Yeah. So if if they caught you or or, or so if they tied or, or passed you, then they had you had to put money in for the final six holes, right? So that's we did every single player led for four holes. Yeah. Right. And it transpires all of them got caught. So they all wow. have to put money in, right? So, th- so there's what? 150 in the pot, right? Yeah, 150 in the pot, right? Yeah. So, and then we, we, so all of them were equal, but so we determined for the last six holes who was top on their actual gross score for the four holes they were in the lead, yeah? So how well they performed the four yeah. holes in the lead, yeah? So basically first, uh, second was one shot behind, third was two shots behind for the final six holes, right? Yeah. So if at any point in the last six holes you were leading, so if all three were leading or two were leading, you got a wall of noise from me, right? Okay. We call it a wall of noise, right? Yeah. And, and, and 
I, I, just so I'm absolutely clear with the, the listener here, we are, I am got a really good relationship with these guys and we, I'm always checking in to see how far I can go with this. Right. Yeah. So, and basically I am trying to put them off as much as possible. Right. And yeah. I know they're, they're kind of areas that they are maybe. Areas for development. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Said so by the for psychologist. Example, for, for, for example, one of the one of the players was in, in question was playing a bit golf swing and he caught up after about three holes. And the first shot he hit, I asked him just before he hit how many swing thoughts he had, 14 or 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the outcome? He was laughing, right? But then I'm, you know, like, like I'm uh and then another player, you know, he's struggling with the short putts where, you know, I'm trying to get in his head with the short putts. Which side are you going to miss on this time, right? Yeah, and yeah. If you, if you hold this, you'll be, still be negative 300 stroke gained on short putts this year, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the based on what you've said, the interesting thing for me is the person that started the final six holes leading, did they win? I, I lost you there. The, the person that started the final six holes in the lead, yeah, did they win the money? They hold an eight footer on the last to, to win it, but they were all all three of them were equal going down the last. Still, so they came back to the so that statistic yeah. was kind of proven again, right? It came yeah. back to the to the field. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So he he hold an eight footer on the last to win it. Yeah, but. Uh, and ultimately, what you're looking for here is you're not looking for these guys to fall out with you and and want to punch you in the face you're looking for the behaviors yeah that might emerge in tournament play that inhibit them scoring you're looking to bring them out in practice so you can help them inoculate those correct yeah. absolutely absolutely yes and, or, or not not even sometimes and not uh, well yeah inoculate but we're looking for behaviors for development that you pr probably would not see unless you walk around and seen them in tournament play yeah, yeah. You're, you're trying to trying to soak this out in, in practice so that we can address this basically quicker. Again, if we go back to, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do, transfer this, transfer to performance as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it's, so why don't you think that happens in golf practice? It, it, when I, parents, the core parents, hopefully listen to this, the core students, some people who follow Andrew, some people who follow me, you know, the podcast downloads are growing. Everyone listens to this and they're like, that makes so much sense. This is it. And then two, three days later, clipping balls on the range. So why don't you think that this takes hold or why do you think people like me, you, Stu, people who like really value this are seen as specialists when maybe this should actually be the norm and the swing coaches could potentially be the ones who are the specialists? Uh, well, I mean, it's a really good question. I'm biased, but I, I personally think it's, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time now and it's not easy. It's yeah, okay. Like, yeah, like you've, you you know, you and I and Stu and all the guys doing it, I've, 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 you know, how much time I've spent in the research with us and practicing and, and trying it. So I think it's, uh, 
it's a can of worms. You know, I do you, you and I do coach education as well. Yeah, it, it goes back to maybe the coaches learning experience it, as well. Andrew, you you know you're young, young golf coach, very well qualified, had good experiences for someone so young. What what do you think to that? When I ask Pete that question, what pops into your mind? Yeah, I think I think that uh, there's just a a at least with with golf coaches and swing coaches that you're you're kind of just going there for the one hour lesson and people they don't necessarily see it as a or I think that it's changing now but the old way of thinking was that it was a very kind of transactional thing and not a relationship so now that most or or more people are starting to do long-term improvement programs I think we're starting to see more of this style of coaching where you're trying to get out on the golf course more and more performance-based um, and a lot less tinkering every single time. And I know, I know from my personal experience, the last person that I was working with, I was with him for a year and a half, just that one person. So if I went to go and work with that guy every single day and just tinkered on his golf swing every single day, he was going to be a mess. So we needed to do a lot of, of what we're talking about, a lot of games um, and a lot of, uh, you know, skill games and performance-based things out on the golf course. And I was lucky too, as a coach, uh, to be able to go and watch all of his events. So that's something that not a lot of coaches get to go do is go see their, their students play often. Um, but I think that that's changing now. That's the craziest one, right? Imagine yeah. Bill Belichick only ever turning up to practice and never watching the Patriots play. There are elite level golf coaches that literally only go to practice and never watch their, their players play. And that's, that's something that I can uh, never understand. I agree. But I think, uh, I think, I think Andrew hit, hit the spot there where it's the, the commercialization of golf coaching. Yeah. The, 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 the business model of golf coaching has historically been, and it's not just golf coaching, it's the, you know, you turn over any magazine that's or YouTube, it's like quick fix here, quick fix there. But I mean, anybody watching this, if you've got, you've got, if you've got any skill sets in, in a domain, ask yourself how long and how much effort you've put into that to get there. Yeah. And, and golf's not different, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, to me, it's like, well, if you're going to put that amount of time in, then really have a good, hard think about the environment that you are trying to get to. And then what are the behaviors that I, if I'm wanting to get to a elite level performance or, you know, get to single figure handicap, what are the behaviors that I need to get to that level? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, many I, default to swing. Um, but sometimes it's the easiest thing to, to say blame my swing but you know as we know when you go on a golf course a lot of time it's not the swing so let, let's connect this to your you know your your most recent project um because you've you're, you're building a um an education platform yeah on uh a guy who's not a bad player uh, yeah. mr woods so why don't you because i think that you're now you talked about the commercialization of of instruction and the golf industry and 
And I think you're, this is what you're doing is a phenomenal example to coaches that feel like maybe they're a bit stuck. The one hour lesson is the only way there's a conflict, right? Between I got to earn money and, and pay for my mortgage, but I really want to be out on the golf course doing these things that, that, that Pete says, how do I do that? And I think you're, what you're doing is an awesome example. So why don't you go into, you know, swing like tiger and how you're using this platform to educate and inspire maybe a nice shift in, in golf coaching? Well, I would say, if, if in all honesty, the, it's for coaches and players. It's been designed for, for mainly players, but uh, coaches seem to, to like it as well. So we, our previous book, A Constraints-Led Approach to Golf Coaching, um, we stumbled across a ton of stuff on Tiger's development. Like, an absolute goldmine on regards to how he developed his skill. And we thought, well, there's a book in that. So uh, the book's now turned into an online course with an ebook with it. And we've just got lots of examples of Tiger's skill development. So we've got loads of stories from Tiger's skill development where we're loosely, not overly academic, but we're basically delving in a little bit to the academia on skill learning and uh, explaining why he's so good. And then we've got lots of exercises for the golfer and golf coaches to do to practically apply some of the stuff. And so what do we mean by that? Well, the second chapter, we talk about how Tiger could feel the difference of two grams in his driver. So he got six Nike drivers about 20 years ago to test out and he tested them all out and basically said, I'll have the heaviest one. The Nike rep said, hey, they're all the same weight. Tiger was adamant. He was like, one's two grams heavier. So the Nike rep sent them all back. And sure enough, the one that Tiger picked has a dab of glue at the bottom of it. Uh, and it was two grams heavier. So a dollar bill heavier. Yeah. So our point there, and we've got examples as well of I'm talking the, the, his ball testers saying that he, uh, Tiger's better than TrackMan for feedback. He could call out like spin numbers and launch angles, right? And our point in this chapter is that Tiger was highly attuned to the tool, the, the golf club, and the ball, right? And I have yet to meet a elite level player who is not highly attuned to the tool and the, the, what the golf ball is doing. Yep. So I did an article for today's golfer a couple of years ago, and I was speaking to the, the journalist who was doing it with, and he we, we were discussing this, and he told me an interesting story about, uh, he was at a demo day with Dustin Johnson a few years back when he was at the Open, British Open. And uh, he said, Dustin Johnson was hitting wedges, and every time he hit one, he'd call out the number, and he was getting a bob on most of the time. Yeah. And again, elite level performers are highly attuned to what the tool does, what the ball does, the feel of it, the sound of it. We're going into all of that in the chapter. So we're basically arguing that that is a fundamental of elite level performance. And most amateur stroke, amateur golfers have very little awareness of that tool. Yeah, very little awareness of that club face very little awareness of that strike, 
Yeah, if you got, I'm sure you've done this before, Ian or Andrew. You get an elite level player and and you use the glasses, don't you, Ian? The the occlusion glasses, don't you? Yeah, I was gonna, you know, I'm gonna ask you for like your top three tiger stories or whatever. And if if yeah. that one of him playing in the dark wasn't in there, I was gonna yeah. throw. That's why I use the occlusion. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got that playing in the dark. So yeah. like he, like so like you're you're shutting off senses there and becoming more attuned to to what is going on. So, I mean, we've got lots of stories from lots of other sports as well in regards to that. The elite level performers are highly aware of, of the, the tool. It becomes an extension of them. You know, like just recently watched a Formula One driver talk about that as well, how, how the car becomes him, becomes one. Yeah. And he can feel the slight differences. And we've got a story with regards to Michael Schumacher when he was testing out to Ferrari. And again, it's exactly the same as what Tiger was talking about earlier uh, with the Nike driver, Schumacher, testing the Ferrari, keeps coming in and says, the left wing's something wrong with the left wing, something wrong with the left wing. The guy's like, there's nothing wrong with that. Keeps coming in, left wing, left wing. Uh, and they strip it all down. Again, it's two grams difference. Holy smoke. And then you've got Nick Faldo. Have you heard this Nick Faldo story with the grips? This is a beauty, right? So Nick Faldo used to used to like six layers of tape on his grips, right? So yeah, the the club fitter he, he brings him in to get regripped. Club fitter runs out of tape, so one of the clubs only has five layers of tape. And he said, "I'll get away with that, right?" Next day, that Faldo's straight, and this has only got five layers of tape on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I'm sure Faldo didn't hold back too much either. <laughs> um, so yeah. Go, gonna go on, Pete. Carry on. No, no. I'm, uh, again, uh, so that's kind of that's one of the the lesson strokes chapter. We talk about third third lesson. We talk about kind of observational learning. How Tiger learned so much by watching others, watching the behaviors of others, watching the the swings of others, watching the strategy of others, watching the psychology of others. You know, it, it talks about learning the behaviors of Jack Nicholas and watching him at the Nat Masters and how he behaved and, and the, how he spoke and, and yeah, I mean, just there's, there's so much in, in what, how Tiger developed that that's not talked about enough in our, in, in our opinions. I mean, we were biased, of course. Of course. Yeah. See it through our, our lens. Right. But what I would like to do is um, I, you know, you, you mentioned your book, the the constraints led learning one mm. i i think every coach should read that book just fantastic one of the best golf books written for for coaches no doubt because it i don't know how long it took you to write that book but the amount of academia that that's in there but in a digestible and practical way is is amazing so i would definitely recommend that for for golf coaches mm-hmm. and for any parents or any players listening to this that, that want to get better even even our students um the the swing like tiger is something that i would encourage them to engage in and i want to sort of hand the baton over to you like everyone loves a tiger story right so give us give us a couple more tiger stories and then give us a couple of coaching concepts that evolve from from those stories just to sort of you know, wind down the, the podcast. 
Right, we'll go. I mean, we'll give you some a couple because there's so many. We've got thousands. So, like, let's go. Specific. Give us the top ones. Come on, give us the. Yeah. Don't mess around, Pete. Give us the best ones. Uh, the top ones. Top of my head, one of one of my favourites is specificity. Right. So the specificity of practice, and we'll go into that in a second. But so Tiger, um, I, I think it was his dad, but Butch Harmon cited as doing this as well taught Tiger to basically practice the last shot on the range before he was going to go out into tournament play. So he was practicing specific shot he needed before he was going out into tournament play, right? So there's a rain delay in the early 2000s, I can't remember exact date, but early 2000s in, in the Masters. And he has, he has stopped at the 10th hole and he's got a hang and lie uh, with a six iron. I think he's got one, one eight five or whatever it is, the flag, right? So rain delay, that's where he stopped. So the morning that they, they reconvene, right, he is on the range practicing that specific lie to a, that specific yardage over and over again, and he hits it to two feet when he goes out in tournament play. It's unbelievable. Yeah. How did he manage rocket science? Is is that rocket science? No, that's you know it's not. How did he manage to recreate that shot on the range? So he went to side of the range and then he 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 bushnelled like a specific yard that like a a green or yeah, yeah. Just locked it in, took it to the golf course, no big deal. Um okay, awesome. So what does that give you as a coach? How do you take that story? And how do you say to a student, right, this is how I want you to practice because this is what Tiger did? Like, how, do, how are you going to utilize that? I think it's a, a great question. I think it's really just a specific of practice. Like, practice what you're trying to do. or Practice in performance what you're trying to do in tournament play. Yeah. So if you, excuse me, if you're trying to have a high feed, and that and the course demands that and you can hit that shot then practice that and you know on the golf course on the range i'll give you i'll give you the opposite example so when i interviewed european tour players from a masters one of the one of the players talked about specific practice and how he spent as he got he he was a veteran of the European tour. So he played over 10 seasons. He says, as he just learned a lot of this stuff by trial and error. So he said, when he went to tournament play now, he was just trying to get used to the grasses, trying to get used to the shots he needed, hitting the specific shots he needed for that tournament. So he says he was at the French Open and there's somebody standing next to him, bombing driver over and over again, as hard as he could, right? And he was like, and it was blowing quite hard at the time, wind-wise. He was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you are never going to hit that golf shot on this course because it was playing really tight. It was windy. Yeah. A lot of irons were off the tee, yeah? And he said he was practicing low two irons because that's what was what that's was needed what for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you had the same, um, Andrew, you had the same sort of experience speaking to tour player when they talked about their practice and going and getting used to the grasses and just really like yeah. preparing right 
Yeah. So, so having worked with Poulter, I, I saw him, uh, getting ready for an event, uh, that was going to be the next week and he wasn't hitting any chip shots. Uh, and this was very early on when I, when I had met him and he, and I go, I go, Hey, are you going to work on any short game? He goes, no, I do that right at the course. I, I don't practice at home short game. Um, because I, I need to get the grass. I need to get the sand. I need to see how it's going to react on the certain green, the speed, everything, um, that, that changes in the environment when you go to a new golf course. Um, and so really over the time that I, that I, uh, spent with them, I saw him maybe hit, I don't know, maybe 150 short game shots over the course of, of a year and a half or so. Really? Yep. Uh- that's that's, that's and, and he's one of the best short game players out there too yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. fascinating that's interesting so like again my, my master's research three of the players that I interviewed said they never practiced their putting when they came home to Scotland in the winter because the greens were so different so yeah. they, it messed up with them too much so they would just not practice their putting at all yeah yeah and then yeah, yeah. It, it, and like you say it just makes sense um Pete give us one more Give us one more uh, tiger story and a coaching concept that comes from it, and then we'll and then we'll wrap up. Right, one more tiger story. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, Tiger Par, one of my favorites. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is in yeah. this is in that very first book that Earl wrote, right? Train like Tiger. Is it? Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that. I think it, I think it's a really important concept, right? Yeah, yeah, me too. So, so Tiger is quoted a couple of years ago saying that the environment that his dad and, and, and I think Rudy Duran, his first coach, created with regards to par taught him to never be afraid to go low, right? Because the, the, basically his dad and his first coach create, created a par that was relevant to him, right? So... If, if it took him five shots, good shots to get to green and two putts, his par was seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they gradually tapered that. So it's the, the kind of challenge point. They gradually tapered that as he got better and he hit the ball longer. Right. But consistently, when he was playing golf, he was always under par to his par. Right. Yeah. So I don't know you, but you, yourself, Ian or Andrew, but I know. When I, the first time I got under par, like par was a big thing as growing up, yeah? I did not stay under par. <laughs> it went that way, yeah? Because I don't, I don't know if I've ever even been under par. <laughs> Just joking. That's yeah. I mean, that's the experience I had. I remember I, I had this week, my, my, when I was 16 years old, it was my spring break. I played golf every single day. I started off that week with like a 78. And then by the end of the week, I was getting under par in my first nine holes. And then I shot over par, like two or three over par was my best score that entire week. Cause I hadn't experienced it yet. Yeah. Um, so definitely. Yeah. I love yeah. that, that story with tiger. Yeah. So, I, I, mean, I think the junior golfers, they have like a couple of magic numbers, right? If they're not playing well, a magic number begins with a seven. As long as I can dip over that line with a 79, then it's it's like a 79 in a junior golfer's world is like 10 shots better than an 80. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is they get into the red numbers and it's like, oh my God, I'm in the sacred land. 
how can I just stay here? Just stay here. Just stay here. So I, I think that it's, it, that, that is, again, so simple, but genius because Tiger was probably from an early age shooting seven, eight, nine unders, and it feels normal. So then when he's doing it in tournaments, it just feels normal. He's been there before. It's not new ground. I think there's so many things to unpack from that regards to m- motivational. So it's it's more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's how many times you've been out on a golf course with somebody and they're overly attached to par and the par's not relevant to them. You know, it, it, you know, it may be a par four, but really it's playing a par five for them. Right. But they are trying to play it like a par four. Yeah? Correct. Yeah. 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 That's a and, great point. And, and, they're, and they're taking on shots that are just not within their capabilities. Yeah. yeah. Cause they have to make par, right? Otherwise the world exactly. ends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly that. So I think, I think it, it works on so many levels because strategy wise, you know, the, the kind of emotional attachment to par and all that as well. Awesome Pete. So we're going to, we're going to wrap it up. Um, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? Why don't you talk a little bit, about the the course and its structure uh, and anything else that that you want to share um, before you jump off yes so you can find me on twitter peter on at golf um and the website's peteronatgolf.com as well and on instagram peter on at golf got some content on there um you can go to swing like tiger as well that's our new course it's just started there's a free lesson on there the first lesson is on consistency and what consistency really is that's a question we continually get asked and the lesson here want to be more consistent so we go into detail of what consistency really is and and i'll give you a little hint it's not hitting the same shot over and over again (laughs) and it's not not perfecting your golf swing to look like a robot um so we, we go into that in detail it's an interactive course so we just done a live webinar last night um Love to have you on it. I've got loads of stories from Tiger's development. We link that back to some of the research and then we've got loads of games for you to develop your own game on that. So we'd love to have you on that. Perfect. Pete, thanks so much. We'll send out the information. Like I said, I, I didn't do a great job this time just because I got busy, but now we've got this podcast. We'll share this podcast with our core following and we'll also share the the links to, to go come in on the next round of courses and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'll be encouraging our parents, maybe some of our juniors to jump on, jump on this course, as I'm sure Andrew will. And hopefully the word spreads because the work that you're, you're doing, it's much needed in the golf industry and, it, and it's of the highest level. So thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate Thanks you, guys. Thanks, Thanks for tuning in to the core performance podcast. Your one-stop shop for getting to the core of all things golf and human performance. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ian and Andrew, check us out on Instagram at Core Academy. We'll see you next time.